Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewellery of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweller since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This is Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. With Amanda Howard and Robert McKnight. Hello and welcome to Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. And in the words of the most prolific movie serial killer ever, Amanda Howard, the serial killer whisperer, why the long face? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where that come from. It's the Joker in Batman. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't watch any of those movies. Sorry. But I but while we're in such a good mood, happy anniversary. Thank you very much. It's been two years since we began Monsters Who Murder yeah. and it's been a wonderful two years. Uh some bumps along the way. There always um, is. some fights, you know. <laughs> but uh you know, we come from a place of pure friendship and love and that's why we can be so honest with each other. But I'm just a little bit thankful we're now in different states doing this via Zoom so <laughs> that I can't sound like get in a trouble. Monster. <laughs> you are a monster who doesn't murder. That's the only difference. <laughs> gee, gee, I'm glad that comes from a place of love. But, you know, hopefully we can do this for another two years. So Oh, we'll be doing this for another 20 years. I have no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, look, interestingly, today we're looking at... Israel Keys and Israel is making a bit of news. So let's get to our psychological profile later, but let's get into the news and find out how he's making news. And the FBI has released new evidence connected to serial killer Israel Keys in hopes of identifying victims. CBS News 19 has more. On Saturday's episode of CBS's 48 Hours, FBI agents revealed pictures of skulls made by Israel Keys that have been drawn in his own blood. The FBI unveiled those drawings and other evidence to 48 Hours, including examples of Keyes' kill caches, which are kits containing guns, zip ties, and other items he would bury across the country years in advance in anticipating of committing a crime. The FBI believes that several more caches are buried and may contain evidence in other unsolved murders. Amanda, what's the significance of drawing skulls in his own blood? Uh, well, when we go through the profile, it'll get a bit more obvious. But um, this is a guy who claimed that he shunned the publicity but then goes and does something like that of drawing skulls in blood. But mm. there is uh, 12 images and 11 of them are skulls. And one of them is it looks like um, the head of the satanic goat, and I can't think of his name. Um, but if you actually look at it up the other way, it actually looks like a baby in, in the womb. And one of the skulls actually says, we are one. So to me it makes me think that maybe there is a 
pregnant woman that he has killed that they need to sort of get some information on. But mm. even um, I was in a different crime group a couple of days ago and someone actually found a similar cachet to the ones that he has and they said that they, they rung the local police and the local police said, well, we don't care. And I sort of said to them, hang on a sec, here's a news article on Israel Keys. Um, maybe you should actually ring the FBI because this had a cachet of um, details including a, a photo of a lady, a knife and a couple oh, wow. of other bits and pieces. Yeah, I said, I said, just, you know, this could be one and of the police. And the police didn't care? No, the police said, you know, to her, well, we don't care about it. Just go and toss it. And um, we but- wonder why so many serial killers get away with it for so long. 100%. You know, this is what happens. People don't link it up and people aren't watching the news like some of us are, that they have no idea that, you know, one county is, is begging for info when the next county over says, we don't care, you know, mm. and this is what happens. As you said, cold cases ca- can be solved this way by people watching the news and, and knowing what's come up. And if someone was to basically do a Google on what this girl found just this week, they would see that that's exactly what they're looking for for Israel Key. So it may be a link. I actually sent her the links and said, ring the FBI. Mm. And the fact that the FBI is releasing information like this, it says that they believe there are more victims out there, surely. Well, yeah, they they can link him to three murders, um, but he alluded to about 10. So the skulls, which are pictures of 11, maybe 12, suggested there is more. And he he was one of these people who um, played the cat and mouse game very well, which Mm. is what these tapes are very much about. So um, the fact that he's no longer alive, I'm sorry that that's probably a spoiler alert, but anyone who Googles him will find out that, that he is dead. So they now can't work with him, so they have to work on basically the only evidence that they gave him, uh, that he gave them, and it was very little. All right. A truck driver who has been implicated in three deaths during the 90s is now being investigated to see whether there are more victims. Clark Baldwin, 58, was arrested after new DNA evidence allegedly tied him to three women whose bodies were dumped in Wyoming and Tennessee. Court documents allege that he also raped and choked a woman in Texas in 1991. Now, Amanda, there was some speculation he could be responsible for the death of Tammy Zywicki in 1992, but investigators say he's not the suspect of the 21-year-old's death. Yeah, it's always interesting when they can rule out a victim very quickly. Straight away. Yeah, it usually means that they already have a person of interest. They're just trying to find the evidence to prove it. But this can sometimes lead to them not looking in the right direction. So Mm. when a case like this lands in their lap and they go, no, 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 it can't possibly be him because they're watching, you know, guide number two, it it stunts cases sometimes, especially when, you know, this was a, a big case back then and still comes up every so often. But Tammy's death, if they can give that family closure by saying it is bald when allegedly you know that there is all of that possibility but when the police do this it usually means that they have their own um, person of interest ready to go and especially this guy he was a long-haul truck driver he traveled state to state Mm -hmm. and they're sort of like following a path of killings aren't they well there is a whole lot or alleged killings yeah maybe i have to say uh, there is a whole lot of uh, cross-country deaths that they believe, that they kind of call it the highway of tears because there's these cross-country deaths that happen. Um, often they're sex workers as well, so they're a sort of a transient sort of community and they they believe that there's several truckers that are killing across the country in the US. So um, the fact that they've been able to link three possible victims and, you know, a, a couple of other attacks, it just makes you think that that's what they're sort of looking for rather than someone like Tammy. Mm. 
Well, an Australian serial killer has been released from prison early so authorities can keep an eye on him. Reginald Tex Arthurall, who was sentenced to 24 years for bludgeoning his fiancée to death, has been linked to at least four other deaths. The New South Wales Parole Authority says the early release needs to happen so that he doesn't walk out without supervision monitoring. Amanda, this guy has actually killed twice after being released from prison. Yeah, I really don't get this case. This this one is quite perplexing. The fact that if someone is released on parole, they go, yeah, that's fine, you, you've served your sentence, see you later, when we know, as you said, that he's, he's killed after he's been released previously. The fact that he only has a 24-year sentence doesn't mean that they can't keep him in, but it also does suggest that hopefully they're going to uh, look at other um, events that are linked to him, and I think that's how the can only they keep way. him in if he's served his time, if he's done his full twenty four years, which he, which the court decided, then there's nothing to keep him in. That's why, isn't that why they're releasing him early so that they can at least keep some kind of monitoring on him because they they're giving him parole. Well, I mean, it's it's a catch twenty two situation, but that there has to be. Um, precedence here because there is has been other people that were hounded when they were released and so they end up living on um department of of corrections grounds basically because they were so dangerous and i think if they have fears that this man is going to kill again they need to have that 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 backup you know there is people like Derek percy that were then um he was actually found not guilty by reason of insanity but he was also Uh, held in jail at Her Majesty's pleasure. So basically he was there until he died. And if they have concerns about this man and his history states that there could be concerns, well, the fact they're going to let him out early so they can watch him, it just doesn't make sense. Mm. Well, has the identity of Jack the Ripper finally been revealed? That's the question being posed by Film Daily, which has been going through the evidence of suspects. Now, Ahmed, I've got to be completely honest. I'm actually not fully across the Jack the Ripper case, and I know you are, so I'm not even going to get into this at all. I'm going to come to you. Who is the publication naming, and do you agree with them? Uh, well, their main suspect is Aaron Kosminski. Now, he is one of my top suspects as well. There is a few others. But Aaron Kosminski has been mentioned many times since the actual time of the crimes. Um, there was uh, Dean Schultz, who, who was a witness to one of the attacks. Um, he was actually taken to an asylum to look at Kosminski and say it was him. And he actually quote he's quoted as saying, I will not, um, I will not finger a fellow Jew. So the fact that he sort of was shown the guy and said, is this him? And he said, yeah, you know, faith comes first kind of thing. And um, one of the people, Norton, who was uh, sort of responsible for the entire investigation, actually wrote in his own memoirs in pencil that Aaron Kosminski was one of his top suspects. So it's a guy that has come up many, many times over the years. I think the FBI did a special probably I think about 30 years ago now where they also said it was likely to be Kosminski. And there is people that will say that there's also the shawl um, that had evidence of Kosminski's family on it, but we also know that that shawl has been passed around many people, including descendants of that family. So the DNA there doesn't hold water for sure. But um, Kosminski is a, a, a huge suspect. I probably shouldn't be saying this, Rob, because I want to do a whole season on Jack the Ripper with Judge mm-hmm. Robert. So nah. maybe, I, <laughs> maybe well, I shouldn't hey, be If we do that, at least we'll know once and for all who the real killer was well, yeah. because Judge Robert will decide. Well, he gets it right most of the time. <laughs> every time. Every time. Never wrong. <laughs> all right. Well, I look forward to that. 
Let's now to a case we recently covered on Monsters Who Murder. Police are turning to genealogy DNA testing to try and uncover the identity of the doodler. The killer of at least five gay men more than 40 years ago is still at large. Amanda, is this the future for all outstanding cases? Um, DNA genealogy... It's becoming a real success story, isn't it? I know it's fantastic and I think um, it really is the way forward that we're going to see more of these sorts of, of cases come through. Um, I actually have um, cold case arrest as a Google alert, so I see a lot of these that come through and don't forget that um, the original Night Stalker was, was caught there this way just, I think, two years ago now and he's, he's about to go to court. Well, when we first started this podcast two years ago, we were talking about the Night Stalker or the Golden State Killer, as he became known. And, uh, yeah, the, the, that was all about genealogy DNA. So, uh, we're, And we now know that a lot of other cases and a lot of other investigators are using this method mm-hmm. to try and catch other killers that have gone by the wayside. Yeah, and it's just it's, it's going to be amazing to think that um, they're going to identify the Zodiac, um, that they're going to look at other cases. Yes, there's no evidence left from the Jack the Ripper case, but the letters still do exist. Now, if people want to believe that the letters were written by Jack the Ripper, there might be some DNA there, but um, as far as I'm aware, they're not testing them because they do sort of have to destroy some of it to do it. But the funny part of all this, and it's a strange Im- image I have in my head, is that the FBI actually goes to suspect homes and steals their garbage to test for DNA. So I have this image of like men in black on the back of garbage trucks just sort of going to suspects' <laughs> homes and checking their garbage. It's just an odd thing I have. Um, but it, it is the way forward and I think this is going to happen a lot and we're going to have a lot of faith in it until we find that there's going to be something that is going to be proven wrong and then they're going to have to rethink it all again because, you know, when DNA testing and fingerprinting was done, it, it was always, you know, the be-all and end-all and then there's been cases that have, have proven wrong. So for now it's fantastic until it fails and then they're going to have to sort of do double testing or something to to actually make sure that they aren't catching the wrong person. Mm, Absolutely. All right, we'll be back in a moment with our psychological profile on Israel Keys. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And Robin Robbo. Media executive Rob McKnight. Something brand new is coming to your social media feed. Big Brother winner Ben Norris. This is something bold and informative with a side of humour. And journalist David Robbo Robinson. It's truly going to be something different. Ben Robin Robbo Show starts April 20. Go to tvblackbox.com.au slash BRR for more information. It's the Ben This week's psychological profile is on serial killer Israel Keys. In a crime spree from 1996 until his capture in 2012, Keys murdered at least three people and raped and tortured many more. 
His confession is one of the most interesting and complex we have ever examined. The 34-year-old was interviewed by FBI agent Steve Payne and Anchorage police officer Jeff Bell over several weeks in 2012, and we have six hours of footage available. Yay. Now, look, Amanda, I know you would like to go through the entire six hours step by step. I know. But we're not going to do I'm that. Sorry. We have cut it down. So, Amanda, let's get into it. I have to say I was actually shocked when I saw the very first image when I clicked on the video because before we even play the tape, I need you to set the scene and explain to me what is happening in that video when you first turn it on. Well, it's actually quite strange. So Keyes is waiting in the interrogation room and he's waiting for the two officers to arrive. Um, he's already actually spoken to several of them a few times prior to, to this tape. But he's actually sitting back in his chair. He's got ankle and wrist chains on and he's in his red jumpsuit with a really giant white T-shirt under it, which looks quite terrible. He's um, a white guy and and not as, as, as tall as some of them are. Um, he's wearing glasses. He has really dirty hair. But he's leaning back and he's almost asleep. He is out. He just has no idea what's going on around him. We actually hear the officers arrive and they sort of shuffle some papers around everything. He doesn't move. He is not caring what's going on. And he's sitting there so chilled that you would expect that he was there to sort of um, say that he's lost his cat. You know, it, it's totally <laughs> not what we what you would expect. And even while the officers are there, he doesn't do anything for 21 seconds while they're sort of, you know, like what's going on here and he doesn't move. Well, let's get started with those first moments on May 24, 2012. Keyes had been in court the day before and he had caused a bit of a scene. Didn't sleep much last night. <laughs> no, not that. So they start by asking why he's tired, and he claims to have muscle soreness. The reason why, we'll get to shortly, but we've seen this a few times, Amanda. The officers try and suss the guy out, seeing if he's going to be chatty or not. It isn't like the movies where they have to go straight in hard, is it? No, it's never that, you know, did you kill her? You know, all of that. That comes later. They need to see what they can do with the least amount of resistance. And um, he's already been charged with one victim who's Samantha Koenig um, and he'd actually been transferred to um, Anchorage for this. And he knows that they're going to ask him about possible other crimes. So he knows he's going to talk about things. He doesn't know what he's going to say, when he's going to say it. And there's already issues on the table that they're not allowed to ask him about Samantha Koenig's death because that's part of a different part of the case. So, you know, there's a few nerves there and that laugh that he has, you're going to hear that so often. And it starts off, you think, oh, okay, he's just doing that as a nervous thing. And then mm -hmm. it becomes almost quite evil. So it's, it's something that he makes you think that you're about to be lulled in, into a false sense of security, that he's very chill and going to be fine, but he actually uses that for his own opportunity to play games and it's it's going to get quite shocking actually. Okay, so after a bit of banter, the agents go through the usual legal rights. 
Okay, well, Israel, uh, we're running through the same stuff that we do every time. Uh, you know, we're, we're running uh, tape here just so we make sure we get all the facts straight and stuff. All right. Um, and uh, I just want to confirm we didn't interrupt him here with your attorney when we picked up here. No. Today, right? Perfect. Uh, the jail today, I'm sorry. Right. No. Okay. Um, and you're here voluntarily, right? Yes. Okay. Um, you understand that we can't talk about anything to do with the case involving uh, Samantha Koenig. Uh, if you do start talking about that stuff, then we'll have to stop the interview and we'll have to take you back to jail. Do you understand that? Yes. Okay. Um, you're going to run through your uh, Miranda rights here. I know we've been through them before, but uh, we're going to run through them one more time. Before we ask any questions, you must understand your rights. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can be used against you in court. Uh, you have the right to talk to a lawyer for advice before we ask you questions. Uh, you have the right to have a lawyer with you during questioning. If you cannot afford a lawyer, we will be appointed for you before any questioning if you wish. If you decide to answer questions now without a lawyer present, you have the right to stop answering at any time. Uh, do you understand these rights as I've explained to you? Yes. And with that explanation in mind, are you willing to waive your rights and speak with us today? Yes. Um, one other thing, you've got uh, standby counsel appointed in uh, in this particular matter. I believe it's uh, Rich Kirtner. Yes. Uh, and it may also be uh, Jacqueline Walsh. I'm not 100% sure of that. But uh, be that as it may, do you have, do you want either of those attorneys present today? No. Okay. Um, are you on any medications or any other substances that we should know about? No. And are you having any difficulty understanding where you're at or what's going on? No. Okay. I didn't think so. He actually smiles at the end of all that. Why? Well, he knows it's about to be showtime. So he's now sitting up in his chair quite straight and we'll hear it squeak throughout and, and his leg chains um, will rattle as well. But he is ready for this. You know, he knows that this is the moment they're going to start asking him about the other crimes. But he is actually going to ease down in his chair soon because he realises that they're about to go in a totally different area that he didn't expect them to. Then the agents have to get a bit tough, and this is very interesting. The day before this interview, Keith had tried to make a run for it out of the courtroom. He'd been tasered during the escape attempt, and that was the reason for the muscle soreness. <laughs> and now the officers are going to admonish him like a little boy. The first thing i got to tell you, Israel, we talked about a little bit uh, earlier, that... That stunt yesterday in the courtroom did not go over well. Um, so, well, with a lot of folks, not the least of which were the uh, were the prosecutors, and that was the delay actually getting in here. Is we knew you had some legal questions, and so we reached out for him to say, "Hey, uh, Israel says he's got some questions. Are you guys available to speak to him?" And, uh, <laughs> um, I I couldn't even get one. One of them was in court, and the other one said, "You know, basically." What the fuck? <laughs> after yesterday, so uh, they they didn't think that was too funny. Um, so and why are they afraid I'd actually get away? <laughs> well, that, that wouldn't be embarrassing for them, I guess. <laughs> no, it's uh, I don't think that they were looking at it from that perspective. You know, lawyers just don't like excitement. That's all it is. Well, it's more of a it's more of a understanding that they thought we were kind of working towards a, a, a goal and they're, you know, they're working on trying to get, keeping Vermont on board and doing everything. I would have sent them an anonymous letter. Yeah. That laugh. He's got to know he's in trouble, right? 
Yeah, and that laugh actually haunts me now because I've heard it so many times. It's just horrible. Um, but he knows that he's now in trouble and he actually, like, sort of scrunches down and he's playing with his, his leg irons and he's just really realising that they're actually quite pissed at him. Mm. Well, they ask him what changed between yesterday and today and why he's more agreeable today. I'm kind of wondering where we're at with that. Where, where are we at with the, what's changed since yesterday? Uh, more handcuffs. Yeah. Well, what's so, changed for you? Nothing. Possibly additional charges. <laughs> he says more handcuffs. Yeah, so basically he's saying between the escape attempt the day before and now there's no change for him. But yesterday, the day before he actually shut down, you know, and he realises that by doing what he did, he's actually changed the whole game. So they thought they were going to go into court. They had um, played his game because he had made some demands, you know, don't want, I don't want the press there, yeah. I don't want to talk about this and all this. And he saw the opportunity and ran for it and he didn't have leg irons on the day before and he got tasered, which is why he said he was sore, as you said before. But there's another point here and that is that he actually had studied what Bundy had done and Bundy had had escaped from court. So that's what he was doing. Right. He was trying to say, okay, to be the biggest and the best, I'm going to have to play this game, just like Schaefer did when we did the other episode. But Everyone's trying Schaefer, to beat Bundy, aren't they? I know, I know. There's so many other more in- interesting killers. But anyway. Oh, I love but, Bundy. Yeah, <laughs> most people do. Um, but Keyes has the intelligence to learn from someone like Bundy and take it to that next part. So he knows what he, he has to do. He knows that if he escaped... He would go on killing. And so they realise now that they don't have a guy who has just killed one person. They know that they've got a serial killer. And so that escape attempt has totally changed everything. They thought they that they had someone who said, yeah, I confessed I did that because he was literally caught on camera um, abducting her. But the fact, and, and he also had her, her key cards, but the fact that he did this when they thought he was going to be an easy win mm. um, has totally changed the game. And they are pissed. They are so furious at what's happened. And they need to get through to him what's going on. It's always interesting because they come across like they're his mate. Yes, there's a bit of authority in there in what they're saying, but they're not coming down hard because they're still trying to get him on board to... Oh, give us the info type thing, you know. Um, is he taking it seriously, though? I mean, we've got that laugh. Is it nerves? Is it about being facetious? What's it all about? Well, every time he laughs, he's actually looking down, and that's an interesting point. He doesn't laugh at the agents talking to him. This is just the start of the real game because now they know who they've got. They know they've got a potential Bundy. And so the agents need to sort of, treat him like a child and say you're doing the wrong thing. You know, he's he's trying to be tough, but you can tell that he's worried because he's laughed, though he's trying to make light of it. Yeah, yeah, mm. you know, now I've got more handcuffs. But he knows he needs to be worried because he had made a deal with them and, yes, and the day before was about him going through with the deal and all of the police... Um, all the various counties that were involved in this um, were, were going to go with his plea and so then it would move on. But then instantly this escape attempt was a serious fuck-up on, on his part. Mm. Well, the admonishment goes for several more minutes and then Keyes takes control of the conversation. Oh, I disagree. I mean, honestly, um, if, and I know we can't 
go too far back into some of the original interviews, interviews that I had with them. But um, by their own words yesterday, their opening statement to the judge in court, um, you know, I feel like I they have not been uh, honest with me about uh, what my bottom line has been throughout all this, and that's what I wanted to talk to them about. So I'm not going to take it out on you guys, but I do have some serious issues right now. There's uh, some sort of obvious communication breakdown over the entirety of this whole situation, and. Um, and it's easy to sit there and say on the recording, we're not here to talk about the Conan case, but the fact of the matter is is that they're the same people that I talked to about that originally. So you understand my position on that. So I understand I'm, I'm not allowed to talk to that, and I respected their wishes about not talking to that to them about that either without my attorney present, but um, I have some serious frustrations right now regarding uh, you know matters related to that. So that's... Um, that's uh, as far as that's concerned. What, and I don't think it's something that can't be worked out. I've been trying to work it out from my end, but apparently there's only so much I can do. So, um, so that's what I wanted to speak to them about, and not in a matter of any specifics regarding any other case. Just uh, like general topics. You know, like I say, it's the topics that were discussed in open court yesterday. So it's. Um, yeah, it's, that's a frustration to me right now that they won't talk to me about those topics, but it's okay to talk about it in open court. That's, you know, I, I'm, I'm not buying that, so that's okay. This is interesting. It's He's starting to play hardball. What's it really all about? Is he trying to plead his case or is there another motive? It's almost an apology. He's trying to say, you know, he's frustrated with how long this is taking and it's only been about a month since since he, he was first arrested. He thought that he'd be done, done and dusted in a week and that he'd go, yeah, I confess to this one, this one, this one, see, yeah, I'm done. He doesn't realise that every piece of evidence they that he gives them they actually have to go and prove it. They have to go to these locations. They have to find what he's telling them will be there and mm-hmm. all this sort of stuff. So he's feeling frustrated that they aren't taking him seriously as the serial killer he, he believes himself to be because they don't have the proof that he is. I mean, I can walk into a, a, a police station and say I've killed 12 people. They need to prove that what I've said is is the truth. They, they won't believe you until they know. And so he is kind of saying, well, I want to tell you all of this stuff, but I'm not allowed to talk about this case in this court because because we're in Anchorage and I can't talk about this case Mm. because that's in New York. And so there's all of this happening and there is so many different people and so many different police uh, departments coming forward with all all, all these files saying, did he kill this person, Is, is this one? And it's becoming bigger than he thought it would be. He wants to be the star of the show, but there's all these other parties that are happening around him that he's not being told is happening. And he's, he's actually quite scared he's going to be blindsided by something that they're going to throw uh-huh. something down and say, like, here's the DNA, we've got you. He wants to play this game, but it has to be on his terms and it's not on his terms. He has no control. And so he's actually just trying to work out what's going on. And there's no confidence. I mean, he's actually quite well-spoken, but his demeanour during this interview is he's looking down, playing with his leg shackles. He's not 
he's he's not being part of the conversation and it's actually interesting how he sort of pipes up and then and and then crawls back in sometimes so sometimes he's the cat sometimes he's the mouse in this game you know we've covered a lot of uh police interviews in this series of at monsters who murder and most prisoners aren't shackled during the interviews. Even Manson, who jumped around the rooms like a moron, was unshackled <laughs> in most of his interviews. But Keyes is shackled and he's unable to move too much. Why? And that, well, that's because of what he'd done the day before. So ah, they know okay. that he's now a flight risk. And, you know, he is actually thrilled about it. He's he's glad that he's got this because it makes him look scarier. It makes him look that, you know, it's, it's like the Hannibal Lecter mask thing. You know, he's now being treated as a monster and he thinks that's a good thing. He he will actually laugh about this a few more times because he's like, yeah, well, you know, look at me now. I've got all these handcuffs. I can't move. I've got that shuffle that we see like Timothy McVeigh did during his interviews. And it's quite interesting that, he doesn't like them, but he knows why he's got them. But he's happy because he's going to play a bit of bravado and it's all because of the shackles. Mm. Well, it seems to be making the case bigger. And 10 minutes later, we find out what he wants. Um, well, I guess my thought on that is we've, we've tried to do that and we'll continue to try to do that. But just keep in mind that all of us are, you know, we're bound by the rules that right. are set down for us. Yes. And, and in some cases, uh, the rules will be more restrictive than usual. And that's kind of what's going on here. He's big noting himself there. Oh, this case is tricky because it's high profile. Yeah, and really the, the agent actually wants to say no, not really, because there's bigger <laughs> cases. But but he has to but he has to stroke his ego. He has to say, Yeah, you know, there's that and because there's gonna be all these other people involved and you know, it's bigger that than what we thought it was and you know, but it just it just proves how he really wants to play this. He wants to be high profile. You don't escape in front of the cameras in a court case when you don't want this to be, you know, front page news. And that's what they all want. They that they, they all have this ego that needs to be stroked as much as possible and and this is him giving those hints out that that's what he wants Mm. well for another several minutes they keep pushing at keys trying to understand why he did why he took the chance to escape the day before he gives an answer which in hindsight is pretty important but it was missed by the agents at the time I don't imagine this will stay strictly between you and me and people in this room, but you, I believe the people in this room know me well enough now to know that um, that when I say what happened yesterday has nothing to do with our arrangement, like I say, it's not some part of some grand scheme. Um, I already know how this all ends for me, so. He said it there, I know how this all ends for me, and then the officers continue talking, but Amanda, you believe this was a lost opportunity? 
Yeah, I mean, granted, we're seeing this in in, in hindsight, um, but they should have asked him how does he think this is all going to end for him because they need to get an idea of his sense of reality. Is he saying, you know, I am expect to be executed pretty quick for this and I don't want to appeal it? Is he expecting to uh, take his own life? Is he expecting to walk out free? They don't ask him what he meant by that and he's actually going to say it a few times. Um he, he did die and we will get to that. But I think it's interesting that he knows how the game will play out for him. He knows. Mm. He has a plan. All of this is part of the plan. The escape attempt was an opportunity that he took. That that wasn't the plan. But he knew that if he took that opportunity, what he was going to do then. So there was sort of this, this tree, the sliding doors of what he possibly could have done. But he has a plan if he goes to jail. Mm. Well, they finally start talking about one case in particular. When the agents refer to Vermont, they're talking about the murders of Bill and Lorraine Courier, who were murdered by Keyes in 2009. But then they bring it back to the escape attempt, and Keyes is getting bored. Some of the things that they're concerned about and they're getting questioned about by, like, Vermont, for example, uh, is like Jeff said, we know that they had a long conference call with Vermont today trying to explain what happened and answer questions in, you know, Vermont. We saw a draft version of the letter, and uh, it was everything you asked for. I mean, it truly was. And uh, I think they're trying to answer some pretty tough questions from Vermont right now about basically what the fuck. Right, but I mean, still, even still, from their perspective, um, I, they, I mean, come on, let's face it. Yeah, what happened yesterday? Ooh, I'm a bad guy. I tried to escape, but um, let's be honest. Nobody really thought I was a good guy before that, so... <laughs> it's not like me escaping suddenly makes me untrustworthy. I was kind of untrustworthy before that, so... At least you have the perspective of... You have an unrealistic perspective of... <laughs> yeah, I'm not... Um, and obviously, I think... You probably especially know that I'm not going to get another opportunity like that, at least not within my lifetime. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to tell them. You know, all I can say is that, um, I mean, nothing's changed as far as um, my day-to-day, my reality. You know, it's still, still the same. You still envision a way where we can get... To meet, meet both of our goals, where we can get what we I want think, out of this. I think so, but um, like I say, after after yesterday, I had some frustrations of my own. So, uh, so that was kind of the catalyst that you know. It's got a point there, doesn't he? Well, he does because, you know, the agents are trying to tell him that he's in big trouble now because you tried to escape. <laughs> and he literally says, hang on a sec, I'm a serial killer. <laughs> escape is way down the charges list. Like, I'm here to, to, to give you evidence on these people that have been raped and murdered and, and tortured and all of this stuff. And you're going at me about the escape attempt from yesterday. I saw the opportunity. I took it. Yes, you'll be proud of me, not, you know, up, upset that I, I, I tried to take it. He's literally, he says I was a bad guy before. <laughs> that, that that attempt you know it's just it's showing how ridiculously sometimes their questioning can get because he wants to talk about what happened he wants to throw 
the He doesn't know, care about the escape attempt. He's no. got lots more to talk about. Exactly, but they keep going over it and over it and over it. <laughs> well, look, they do return to the fact that his escape attempt is big news and they stroke his ego a bit and he falls for it. I think we all share it. Is that yesterday's actions, regardless of why it took them, uh, are just going to create new hurdles for them from yeah. the standpoint of, I mean, literally they had something, I really think it was just about agreed to. Uh, it may have even been agreed to, and I just don't know it. But like I said, uh, we saw a draft version of the letter that had, I think, everything that you discussed or wanted. In uh-huh. it. So they had achieved that. Um, and then that's yesterday has now endangered that. Uh, in addition, you know, they're, I think they're concerned now that maybe you have a different agenda than what you've told us because you're very specific. You know, I don't want any media attention. Uh, this has created a bit of a frenzy. I gotta believe that your next court appearance is gonna be standing. There's gonna be what? There's uh, probably gonna be a lot of vigilantes guarding the door on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid there's going to be, you know, there's only, there was only a couple meeting people there yesterday. I'm afraid tomorrow's just going to have some, yeah, a fair amount more media people, unfortunately. These investigators are starting to annoy me now. You know, like, talk yeah. about uh, burying the headline. As you said, he's a killer. Yeah. I imagine a killer's going to try and escape, otherwise he's probably facing the death penalty or life in jail. Um, but Amanda, not only does he have that laugh, he's got a great big wide smile as well. Yeah, because he's he's hearing what he wants to hear. You know, oh, yesterday there was only a few press there. Now it's going to be a circus. Now there's Standing going to be people in the courtroom. It's going to be crazy. And he's laughing and saying, yep, <laughs> you know, of course it is. And this actually goes on for another half an hour. And it's like... Yeah, no, but we're, we're done with that. And I would have just said to them, I don't give a fucking walk out myself, I think. Because <laughs> they kept going on about this escape attempt. Yes, it sort of put, you know, a, a fly in the ointment. But it, as he said, it's way down on the list of bad things I've done. Maybe they're, maybe they're fixated with it because he actually did take away their control. They thought yeah. they had an easy win. And he yeah. really showed the calculating or the opportunist. Yeah. Yeah, because they, as you, as you said, they thought they were going to have have this easy one. He's just going to confess. They just have to prove it all, and it's over because he's going to talk. He knows what he wants to say, and he's going to do it. And then he goes, "Yeah, fuck you guys. I'm out of here," and and takes off over the over the gate things and takes off out of the back door. He he gets like tackled by six guards and one of the guys that's interviewing him and gets tasered, and now he's all stiff and sore. And he is getting in, in trouble for it, like it was a little kid who, who left the door open and, and the puppy got out. Like, seriously, guys, you know, what a waste of time. I know that we don't expect them to go in hard and I know that they take it easy, but this was just like a total balls up, this, this interview. But it was interesting to see how they played it and sort of, you're a naughty boy. <laughs> well, the next interview is done a few days later on May 29th. Bell and Payne is still part of the interview, but now Assistant Attorney General Frank Russo has also joined. An officer walks in with a cup of coffee and hands it to a surprised Keys. Amanda, explain what happens. Well, it's quite interesting. Again, like like the episode before, he's actually just sitting there waiting. He's not asleep this time. But this officer sort of comes in and like shoves this coffee in at his face and said, here's a cup of coffee for you. And he sort of like takes it and sort of looks at it for a bit and he plays with the cup before he, he, he takes a sip. And it's quite interesting. He's You can see that, that the mind's going thinking, why on earth has someone bought me a cup of coffee? 
Hmm. I have to ask, if you were a serial killer and someone handed you a drink, would you drink it? Yeah, no, not at all. There is no way. And I think that might have been going through his head, like, you know, mm. what is going to be in this? Is it going to be spit? Is it going to be, you know, everyone's running around the toilet ring, you know? Is it going to have poison in it? You know, it could be anything. Um, I would have only accepted like a like a sealed bottle of water, I think. But, you know, there is probably other things going on in his mind that now they're going to have his DNA right there and then. Mm. So, And this is what they've done multiple times in, in, in other cases is that they hand them that cup of coffee and then that glass or that cup or that mug or that paper cup like we have here is what they're going to use to get them. That's how they got D'Angelo was a paper coffee cup. Yes, right. Well, finally, after going through more about the escape attempt, the assistant AG, Russo, starts discussing other possible cases with keys. All right. Well, I believe we're making progress. I think so. I, mean, I think this is a great amount of progress where we are. And I think, you know, it, it's going to help us move the ball forward. Um, and just to sort of reiterate, they basically have said and agreed that um, they know it's important to you to sort of avoid media attention. To, um, that you, you don't want law enforcement identifying you in connection with the courier matter that they're prepared to do. Um, and they're prepared to continue cooperating. And in exchange, you're agreeing to be truthful about other crimes and right. other bodies. And in here, they specifically mention the name of the victim in New York. Right. They want to know. Yeah. So, I, as it says, I'm kind of close to them. But, and I have a conference call tomorrow with them, and I'd like to be able to tell them that you're continuing to cooperate and provide that information. I do want to continue to cooperate. Um, I'm having some issues as far as uh, this is somewhat of an unrealistic expectation on my part, but I was thinking there might be a way to disclose all this information to you and to the FBI. And to some way ensure, somehow ensure that uh, we could work out some sort of agreement that, you know, I give you all the answers on these cases and, and uh, you know, families get closure and we find as many, as many of them as possible. and. Um, and in return for that, you know, I, you know, I don't plan on being around a whole lot longer. But a really big concern to me is, um, you know, my kid's going to be around. I don't want her to like type my name in the computer and have it pop up, like, you know. I, you know, I already know stuff's going to come up. I know that, but. Um, you can hear a butt coming. Yeah, he's not so sure now because this is like a week later. There's been no movement on anything that had happened. All of the other counties are pissed off with the escape attempt still from the week before, you know, and he's starting to think about his family. Like he, he actually has a daughter and he's concerned that she's going to be Googling him and find all this horrible stuff. Ah. It's amazing how they have this hindsight, you know. Mm. You've got to think, well, don't go and rape and kill people if you don't want your daughter to read that that's what you were doing, you know. It's it's so strange that once they're caught, they go, oh, yeah, but I don't want my family to find out. Yeah. You know, it's just it's just sublime. You know, but in, he 
keeps coming around to him saying, I'm not going to be around for much longer. And they're going past this. That They're not... They're not thinking about what he's saying. They're so focused on getting a confession that they're missing that he's talking about suicide. He seems to be backpedalling, but Russo tries to draw him out. You know, it's one thing to to make assurances, you know, and, you know, that's that's great. I mean, if we get some of the stuff on the table for now, it helps us deal with the problems for right now. But um, you know, down the road, that's what I'm concerned about. I'm not going to be around, you know, which is fine. I'm, he says um, that again. But that doesn't uh, doesn't change the fact that, you know, like just because just because I'm not connected with it right away, it's, you know, could happen later. And uh, so I'm trying to, I guess, maybe cover myself that way as much as possible and still get you what you need. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, you know, sort of the plan I drafted up, I mean, this is sort of a, a good starting point. You're right. I mean, no one can guarantee you that you're never going to be connected to some of these things. Um, what we can do to respond to some of this is create this sort of snowball effect of the jurisdiction. Right. And we started with Vermont. I mean, we know, even though we gave Vermont the information up front, we know it's, it's possible. Right. Because we just did it. And it will be even... We're in a better position in other jurisdictions when we go to them and say, all right, look, we've got Vermont down, we've got a body in New York, um, we either get on board or we're not going to play with you. Um, right. It creates this snowball effect with momentum, no one's going to try to get in the way of that. So, I mean, you know, sort of the plan we sort of lined out for you, you know, it's my hope that that's something we can use as a model. We use Vermont as a model, and now it's it's certainly it's working. We're taking a big step in Vermont, saying, "All right, you know what? You guys obviously it's it's keys to solving at least the courier's crime, and we're going to defer to Alaska, and we're going to give you what you need, but in return." You know, we're not going to say anything. We're going to keep things on the radar. We're not going to link it publicly. We're not going to make a splash in the media, which I think is, I mean, as far as law enforcement guarantees or assurances, it's as good as it gets. Right. And I think, um, you know, we can do this. We can continue on doing this because, I mean, we've been doing a good job in Vermont. Vermont's been doing a great job. And I think, um, you know, they're aware of New York now, too. And that's, quite frankly, what got them over the line. Right. Remember we were talking, you know, like, well, give yourself to take to Vermont. Right. And when we got New York, we went to Vermont and said, you know, because of your cooperation, we got New York. And then that immediately generated this letter of, of intent. So, but in order to kind of keep, I think, Vermont on board, it, it certainly would be nice to kind of say, all right, you know, based upon your letter, we also got X, the name, the name of a, a victim, the right. location of the body. And you know, we already have their assurance about the courier matter. You don't have to worry about what's happening with that because that's all tied up in this. And we can do the same thing with the New York thing. Right. Where are they at with the, like, did they find the bodies yet? Or I think it's, it's like the football field with the stuff yeah. they're going through. They're making, they're making progress, but it's just, uh, it's, it could still be like a couple weeks or something. Yeah, it definitely They're not going to stop. This is, you know, I'm tenacious. One of the best analogies I've heard for it is it's more like an archaeological thing. Uh, it, it's just going through and kind of tossing things right. until you find what you think you're looking for. 
that up a lot of trouble to go to. I almost feel guilty. Costing <laughs> the taxpayers a lot of money to find us. But this kept my mouth shut. <laughs> You know, Amanda, in the last two clips we've played, he has said, I won't be around for much longer. Yep. He he has his plan. He, he has an end game. But they're not realising that he's saying that he's suicidal. He wasn't on suicide watch, you know. He, he says it again and again. We've heard it at least three times and this in is these only, clips. Yeah, and this is in an hour of, of tape that we've heard it three times. And they just go past it. Mm. With all the wheeling and dealing, Keys just comes out of left field with have they found the bodies yet? Yeah, and he had a good laugh about it too. You know, oh, I feel sorry for, you know, I'm using taxpayers' funds to for, for them to find the bodies, which they don't find. You know, and he's actually not talkative like he was the day before. He's he's still laughing because he thinks it's all funny. But, you know, he just he just doesn't want to play the game and he's just throwing out one-word one answers, you know, yeah, they're being tenacious and stuff like this, you know. And Russo then starts talking about the New York case, and his interest comes back, and that's why he has to ask, "Have they found the bodies yet?" You know, and he is maniacal. You know that laugh about, you know, I should have just kept my mouth shut and not told him, you know, because he thought that they would find them and they would be shocked and disgusted with what he's done. But they don't have the evidence yet. They're still mm. trying to find it. And well, then Keys pushes further about the dig. And there hasn't been, I haven't honestly haven't had access to any news stories related to that. I saw the one that you showed me. That's the last one I I'm Google, I Google it almost every day. There's nothing. They haven't. They don't, it's kind no of more dead story at this point. You know, it's funny. For someone who doesn't want publicity, he sure asks about it a lot. Yeah, he does. And, like, one of the agents is actually Googling every day to see what, what's getting out there. And he's a bit disappointed, actually, that there is no news about it. And he can play coy and say, you know, I don't want the press to come to the courthouse and all of this, but then I'm going to do a spectacular escape and then I'm going to send you on wild goose chases to look for bodies in places where they aren't. And, you know, the more that this happens, the longer it takes, the more the press are going to pick up on what's going on. You know, oh, yeah, but I don't want the press. You know, yeah, but then he tries to turn it all on his head and he actually calls out um, true crime fans and, and people like us that make these kind of podcasts. My concern, the problem is nowadays uh, the more stuff my name is attached to, the more likely it is that somebody's going to try to do some kind of stupid freaking TV special or, you know, you know how it is nowadays, like with all this true crime bullshit that people are obsessed with and that's... Uh, I'm not even so concerned at this point about, uh, you know, because so far I feel like we have been able to work within the guidelines of what we both said we would. Uh, but, I'm, I'm, yeah, I am concerned about that, about someone connecting the dots on this. And uh, I, I don't know how, like, the right – I know there's certain privacy laws, but I know that, you know, for the most case they're not going to apply to me. And uh, so I know that um, at some point it's pretty likely that if someone tried hard enough, they could, you know. Amanda, you're calling BS on this, aren't you? <laughs> of course I am. I reckon if someone put a film deal under his nose then and there, he would have signed it and gone for it. Because he's talking about, you know, but if, if the true crime community get, get wind of this and they 
put the dots together. He's worried about people connecting the dots. If it's two people like it has been, it's been um, Bell and Payne that have been his main contacts with everyone else. He knows that that's not enough manpower to look at what else is happening. If the true crime community gets involved and starts to look at all of these cases where he he could be linked with them, it's going to be a bigger case. And he doesn't want that. He wants to go Mm. down for a few and that's okay. But he, you know... I'd, I reckon he'd do a film of the week if he could, that's for sure. <laughs> well, the Assistant Attorney General, he keeps trying. He's trying to convince Keyes to just spill the beans. And finally, Keyes extemporises his thoughts. Well, yeah, I mean, let's... I, like I say, I want to have a chance to to talk about the letter with some people and I want to have a chance to... Um, hear back on the other thing, I'm not going to hold my breath on that. <laughs> but I want to at least see what the options are. Like I say, I would have preferred to wait until they find the bodies in Vermont, but it sounds like that could be a while, so I guess as long as we have that letter from them, then uh, you know, as soon as I have a chance to to look it over or have other people look it over and we can uh, move on to the New York trip that, I mean, you guys already have, I'm sure, quite a bit of information on it, so probably have more than I remember at this point, (laughs) except, I mean, except (laughs) He covered his mouth there when he says, you probably have more than I remember at this point, except, I mean, except for chuckling at certain details. It's it's very funny. It's not funny. It's weird. Yeah, and this is like when we did the Martin Bryant episode too, he did a similar thing that he'd yes. sort of do that to an aside and, you know, except for certain details. And this is what he's doing. He's playing cat and mouse because he thinks that they're going to lose interest because they're not finding what he's telling them is out there. And at the same time he is worried what they do find because it could be worse than he's told them and so there's a bit of embarrassment there as well but he wants to seem as if he's really dangerous and that when they find it like her head's going to be in one field and the body's in 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 the other he's he's trying to allude to some horrible things to keep them interested and and to make them look even harder because you know he's this bad monster Hmm. well russo though he's pushing for more information I mean, I don't want to talk, I don't want to give up any more information on it. I mean, I understand his point of view, but it's, you know, like I say, it's still, uh, frankly, that's going to be too much if I, at this point, I don't, I don't want to go there yet until I, even just until I find out where I'm at with, with what we, you know, with the new developments, so. Okay, what about, um, and I'm just thinking about his trip because he had asked me to ask you these things. Um, since he's going to be there, he's also with people in Washington. I mean, you've already talked to us about Washington, and I think these guys have some pictures. Washington State? State, yeah. They have some pictures they want to show you about that. Well, just to let you know that we did that. So I found the boat. Boat has so, had better days. That cover was a good investment, though. Really? Well, it's still on. Good shape. Yeah. <laughs> Looks like it's a little leaky at this point. It's, it's still in his driveway, just uh, 
It was just sitting there. He hadn't touched it. So. Yeah, I had big plans for that boat. <laughs> Did Keys just give away something there? Well, he's, he's shown a picture of a boat and he's actually quite shocked that they found it. So, you know, he's almost congratulatory in, in his response, you know, oh, you found the boat, you know. But he's not shocked but not bored. He's like, okay, well, they are following the bread, the breadcrumbs. So he's he's happy for them that they're getting some of the pieces but they're not getting the important pieces, you know, and he's a key suspect in uh, the deaths of four people in the Washington state area. And he claims to have even dumped a body in the lake. So that was where the boat was found. So he knows that they're getting close to other victims that he has only alluded to. So he knows that they're following in and it it, it pleases him because it means that they are taking him seriously. Hmm. Well, his demeanor though has now completely changed. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's he's sloppy in his chair now. He really didn't want to engage in, in this interview and he's actually quite pissed about it. You know, it's it's been going for about three quarters of an hour by this time and his coffee has to be cold, but he's still sipping away at it. You know, he's drinking it slowly, which I think makes him makes me think that he thinks there's something wrong with it, you know, but he, he still has his glasses on, but he doesn't seem to care. He's actually quite scruffy this time and you can tell there's something going on and there's this struggle that's happening inside of him, you know, and he just doesn't want to be there and he's getting asked the tough questions now and he has alluded to confessing for weeks and months now, but he doesn't want to do it today. Today is not the day he, he wants to answer this. So he kind of, you know, just goes, yeah, whatever, you know, I'm a serial killer, let's just go on with it, I don't want to do this anymore, you know, things are taking too long and the teams are being thorough and he's bored, you know, that that, that bravado mm. that we saw the, the day before, the, the week before with all the laughing and stuff, it's gone because they're going over it so minutely and he just doesn't have time for that shit. Well, then he, then he goes on another tirade about state and federal jurisdictions. The thing about Washington is a little, a little simpler from his perspective. There's only two federal districts there, eastern and western. Eastern is more like Tacoma, Yakima. Western is Seattle. Right. And that's, yeah, that's Spokane. Where is this dividing line? Right. It's Spokane, Yakima, and then there's Seattle, Tacoma, that's in the western. Right. Um, and I think he'd like to be in a position to sort of just chat very briefly with one of those criminal chiefs, if not both, and he needs to sort of look at well, the problem I have with talking about anything related to Washington is um, not playing ball with the right people because those who are almost positive are not going to be federal. In case they're not federal cases. Well, I think Kevin explained to you that like different stuff there. Okay. Well, I mean, I think Kevin explained to you that the jurisdiction that we can exercise is pretty expansive, especially if it's you know, part of the right. scheme. No, I, I understand that, but again, we're, this is going to be hard to talk about without getting into stuff we're not supposed to talk about. But um, uh, depending on things, you know, the way things pan out, you know, things we've already talked about, then... Uh, I may need those details uh, of the Washington cases that that I would be better served to wait, (laughs) you know, um, if that's where the route I have to go. I mean, you know what I mean? 
I think that's John. He really goes around and around and around and around there. Yeah, he does, and he has this whole thing about not wanting to talk to state jurisdictions. He wants to stay with the federal. And I don't know why, but there's something about him wanting to be in federal prison and not in state prison, and I think it might be his way of not avoiding the death penalty or something. It's strange. He, he has this thing that he will not talk to state police. He will only talk to the feds. And so mm. having the FBI guy here, but because it's multi-state, usually the federal police, uh, the um, FBI do take it over. So the fact that there's people all around, that's usually what happens. But he just has this thing that he doesn't want to talk to these Tim Pot little county police. He he thinks he's higher and, and, and more important than that, you know, but... They know that he's at a, a place that he just doesn't want to go right yet and they know they can't push him and so they just let him waffle on like this. Um, but they know that he, they need to get some info off him to move forward, especially in the New York case and the Washington State cases, but it's just not happening. But Keys is still playing coy and then he blurts out another piece of the puzzle. So you're saying there's two, I'm sorry, two, districts, two districts in Washington? Federal districts? Yeah. So there's two federal districts that we'll probably just approach with it. One in, in uh, Spokane and Yakima, the main offices in one. And then Seattle and Tacoma are the western districts. So that's just the dividing line. I don't know exactly where it is, but pretty much you know, Seattle and Tacoma is where most of the towns are. Like Ellensburg? Or? Yeah, I think that's, that's Ellensburg is... Uh, Ellensburg is west or no, east? east. east. Was that a confession? I think so. You know, that they're saying, you know, that they know there's at least one victim in Washington state and, you know, he's asking, well, which which part are, are the feds responsible for? And then he gives them a suburb and then they say, well, that's in the other federal jurisdiction. He goes, well, then you're going to have to look in both now. So he's just literally confessed that there's two victims in Washington state, though they still believe that there's actually four, you know, but you can actually hear the officer at the end, click his pen to actually write that down. You know, right. he's get, finally, he's out of all of this time he's been talking, he gave them another piece of the puzzle, you know. But what is missing in all of this is that there's no remorse. Mm. He's joking and he's laughing and there's not an ounce of care of what's going on. He really doesn't give a shit that he's there and he's not even um, caring what happens or what they find now. You know, he just wants to save his own ass, you know, which is strange because he keeps saying he doesn't want to be around for long but at the same time he doesn't want other jurisdictions to come in on, on this investigation. Well, he then complains about the increased security but, Amanda, you say he says something that's really important here. So there's an issue with the U.S. Marshals, but like I said, I don't know that. Yeah, security is a difficult thing. That they kind of basically tell us to mind our own business when it comes to security. So it's you know, usually that kind of thing. I mean, I don't know. It's a difficult uh, situation, given what happened. They're they're responsible for you in your custody, so they would have been they would have pretty foolish if you got too much farther. So they're probably not going to, who knows, I doubt they're going to be open to much of your suggestions, but I don't know. They're not going to take any of my suggestions? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't want to so my suggestions seem to hold less and less water lately. So. <laughs> I'm sure they're very polite about it, though. Yeah. <laughs> 
They all seemed quite highly amused last time I was at the courthouse. What was it, Amanda? What did you notice? Well, he has noticed that the way that security is in the courthouse is different when he's there. So it means that he's looking for another failure in in their watch over him. They believe he he believes that there's the opportunity to escape again, but they missed that. They they didn't realize that he's saying, yeah, well, they've changed the way they come in now, and there's more guards over here, and what's going on over there, and I have leg mm. chains on and everything. It means that he isn't being complacent. He's still eagle-eyed on what's going on around him, and so there is the chance that he might escape again. He basically just told them that, but they didn't but they didn't catch on. <laughs> Good investigators. Uh, they then talk about Keyes' brother coming for a visit. Well, and I think uh, if we're done, well, we can get him a cigar and let him. So if we got you over here, awesome. Wow, a cigar for nothing. Well, that was. <laughs> I like to think it's a cigar for good faith. <laughs> but ultimately, for good health. Yeah. Ultimately, that's going to be up to you. No. Okay. No, look, I mean, we can keep working on this. So. We're working on our end. Yeah, we've done just about everything we can do at this stage. They gave him a cigar. I know, it's quite strange. And, and one of the officers actually sort of says, why is he getting a cigar? And he goes, you know, it's in good faith, you know. It's it's basically a reward. It's like giving a puppy, you know, a bone. It's basically saying we're going to treat you like a human and give you these things that you're really not supposed to have because we know that next time you'll realise that we're the good guys and you can talk to us. And, you know, it just may mean that next time he might give up another victim. So they, they're just playing this good faith game purely in the hopes that it's going to happen because this isn't a, like a sprint. This is a marathon. Well, next week we will bring you the third interview in the series and I'm sure there'll be more revelations. Amanda, what can we expect next week? Well, you can expect more laughing, but he's actually going to start talking a little bit more about what he's there to talk about. So we're going to get a little bit further than being roused on for the escaping court. I look forward to it. Thank you, Amanda, for your insight as always. We will see you next week on Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.